Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. A big return to the wild lineup last night. We're going to get Judd's thoughts on that. Also, Jim Peterson and Lou Nanny on the show today. Now launching. Mackie and Judd. We get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? I thought Zach was, was good for his first game, too. I mean, he did all the right things and um, uh, played within himself so much. So he was, uh, it was, and he could have had a couple, too. You know, that was ideal, actually, to get out on the power play and, and handle the puck and, and feel, feel the puck in a game. I, it couldn't have been a better start just to get in there and, and handle it on the half wall and make some plays. It, you know, it felt good to start like that. Winnick out to the line for Olofsson. Felino a tip, Collins scores! Into the corner, Zucker on the loose puck, centers, and it's to stall, he scores! Plays it ahead for Coyle. Coyle at the empty net, he scores! And it's 5-1 Minnesota. That was tame. But Coyle, he had an open net. He also had... Fired all his bullets. Stall in the middle of the ice. Not sure if he could get the puck to him or not. Fired all those bullets. Uh, Zach Parisi making his return in the wild, uh, taking advantage of 5-1 victory last night. Yeah, so uh, Parisi comes back. It gets no uh, no goals, no points. Uh, three shots on goal. First game that this, I believe it was Wilds, uh, the Wilds 40th game of the season. Nino Niederreiter is supposed to come back from his injury on Thursday. At that point, you will have your entire team. At that point, so all these guys that got hurt early in the season, everybody at that point is going to be back. Granlund now has four goals in his past uh, four games, including three on Friday against the Predators, and so he has played well of late. That's the good news. But now let me bring to light what needs to happen for this team to become consistently competitive. You still need more from several players. Jason Zucker, who went on a stretch where he basically scored a goal or two a game, has now two goals in his last 15 games. The one that astounds me is Miko Koivu has one goal since the start of November. Well, hey, listen. He's got a month now to play with until his next goal. That is 30. I don't know what. He scored one like two weeks ago. I don't know, why, I don't know what, what more do you want from him. That is a 30-game stretch. And uh, and <laughs> the last goal that LaPanta called last night, an empty net goal, Charlie Coyle. That was his third goal of the season in 24 games. Right now leading you in goals with 17 is Eric Stahl, who is 33. So the, the return of Parisi and to get your entire lineup back is very nice. But if this team is going to become consistently competitive and make a playoff run, and right now, 
after last night's win, they are one point back of the last wild yeah, card spot, spot in right the Western now. Conference. If this team is going to become consistently competitive, those top six forwards have to do more, and it can't be one or two guys. You're going to need all of them to contribute more. I mean, it is it is astounding that Koivu has one goal in 30 games. Well, Craig Leopold's words before the season are still they still ring. They still he hasn't couched them. He hasn't gone back on them. He said anything short of a Stanley Cup championship will be a disappointment. And one of the themes on our show, we've been doing this for almost four years together, the gap between expectations and reality is where angst and firings lie, right? Okay, mm-hmm. what what he's setting the expectations at championship or bust. Yes. The reality is going into the season with aging injured Zach Parisi, a young crop of players emerging into their prime and none of them really emerging as superstars, reality said not really championship DNA here. Not championship material, yes. Right. So so I guess just to piggyback off what you're saying, there's there's forty games, well, forty two games left. That was their fortieth game last night. Yes. So they played about half the season here. Their next game will be the exact halfway point. I'm looking for a lot more star power with the top two lines, the top six forwards, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. in the second half. Because mm-hmm. if, you, if you're if you talking Stanley Cup DNA, mm-hmm. and you look back the last decade, four teams have won the Stanley Cup championship the last decade. The Penguins, the Blackhawks, the Bruins, and the Kings. And they're not doing it with a bunch of anonymous second, third-line caliber players mm-hmm. with a middle-of-the-road starting goalie. They're doing it with Sidney Crosby, Patrick Kane. They're doing it with Jonathan Quick, Chara, uh, Patrice Bergeron with the Bruins a few years ago. Kopitar yes. for the Kings is a fantastic player. So Rowdy, I think yes, it right. has to come from either a, a resurgent Zach Parisi or uh, a returning healthy Nino Niederreiter yep. or Mikhail Granlin getting the second half, yes. you know, getting it back to where he was for the majority of last yep. year. And even then, I don't know if they have Stanley Cup championship they, DNA. They don't. They they flat out don't now Granlund now now Granlund scored uh, the, the hat trick against Nashville on Friday and, and they played a home and home against the Preds on Friday and Saturday and I believe in those two games he had 14 combined shots. We need to see that consistently. This cannot be Granlund can't pop up and have two good games and we all get excited and say that's the, because how long have we been saying you know this is the Granlund that we saw in the Olympics and this is and then we go through a month stretch where he sort of disappears. You need and. The most important thing to me, as much as I pick on Koivu, the most important thing to me is this. Coyle, Zucker, Granlin, those guys still need to do way more. I mean, Jason Zucker goes through the, that great stretch where he scores two goals a game and he's on fire and he scores in something like, what, five consecutive games? And we all say, uh-huh, that's it. Yeah. And now it's gone again. That entire group that we talked about, what, four, four years ago now in the playoffs and got all excited about, continues to underachieve way too much and if that's the case you might not be a playoff team yeah they're in uh they're just very ordinary at best in almost every measurable way right and even just like look at their roster they have and i know that injuries have played a role here so this is kind of a this is a bit of a piling on stat i'm going to throw at you but right now the wild has one player among the top 70 in the nhl in points just goals plus assists Mm -hmm. points Mm -hmm. and it's eric stahl Mm -hmm. who's 33 Uh, and that's it and jason zucker is uh, like 75th or something in that and that's not the be-all end-all measurement yep i'll add to this too i'll take a page from our guy matthew collar's analytics book if you just look at puck movement five on five wild versus the rest of the league 
They're one of the worst puck possession and puck movement teams in the NHL, five on five, mm-hmm. in almost every measurable way. Yes, they so are. So getting Parisi back, getting Niederreiter back, huge boost potentially. Right. Uh, but even with those guys coming back, it's going to be a grind to get up into that seven or the eight seed and to maintain it for 40 games. You're going to need Devin Dubnik to revert back to what he was the first half of last year. So it was fun last night. Some great storylines here. Parisi coming back. He's healthy. Niederreiter. But I am in full wait-and-see mode with this team down the stretch. I would caution this on Zach, too. At his age, uh, to be coming off a back problem, if you are assuming, oh, he's fine now and it's going to be great, you very well might be wrong. I mean, you've got to get one. You've got to give this time, and two. At his age, if you look at the at the potential production here and the way he plays, if you just say, "Well, he, he looked good uh, against uh, the, the Panthers last night," he's going to be fine. That is a leap of faith. It's going to it's going to take me quite a bit of time seeing him play consistently with that style to say he is healthy. Ding ding! Randy Moss is in for a touchdown. And Randy Moss, without even really being able to run, as he shoots the moon to the fans here in Green Bay. That is a disgusting <laughs> act by Randy Moss. And it's unfortunate that we have that on our air live. That oh. is disgusting by Randy Moss. Oh, I forgot about that. That's uh, so that's I, why Minnesota sports fans hate Joe Buck. They still. turned on Joe Buck that day. From over a decade ago. Yep. So Randy Moss and Steve Hutchinson, your former Vikings, who are now Hall of Fame finalists, it would be an absolute football crime if Randy Moss wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer. And this is kind of a smoky room process where Chris Carter was made to wait for like a half decade, even though he should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. But if Randy Moss, and there's a bunch of names, uh, Ray Lewis is a finalist this year. Uh, John Lynch has not gotten into the Hall of Fame yet. He's still in the mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Baselli. So... There's a lot of guys deserving. Not all of them are going to get in, but Randy Moss is one of the two or three most influential wide receivers yes. in the history of the NFL. Yes. Uh, I think you could pick one from, like, Jerry Rice was maybe the first wide receiver to be considered perhaps the best player in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And you could pick a receiver before Jerry Rice, maybe in the early forward passing days. And then Randy Moss, absolutely, we were talking about this before the show, influential, changed the game, put it up, go down the field. Uh, take the top off a of defense. Randy so Moss speak. should walk in. Yes, there should be if he if he does not go in uh, on, on his first opportunity, it's absolutely ridiculous. Randy Moss. All you need to know about Moss is the fact that uh, in the 1999 draft, the Green Bay Packers took, I believe, with their first three picks, three defensive backs who, who were six feet or taller because of the fact that Moss torched them in the October game in 98 in Lambeau. Randy Moss completely, he started to swing the game in a different direction. And if Randy Moss does not go in because of of biases against how he acted towards people, I didn't like Moss. You know what? It doesn't matter. Randy Moss was an influential player who changed the game in some ways and deserves to go in his first time, and if he doesn't, the process should be questioned. I think you know this kind of ties into our our baseball Hall of Fame discussions too. I think the character clause stuff. Now the NFL doesn't have that. In fact, uh, baseball has some language about character, and that's why Pete Rose isn't going to get on the ballot, and right. Uh, that's why steroid users. Okay, character clause. That's such a nebulous thing to tag onto the voting process. And but but then again, like Darren Sharper intercepted 50 career passes as a safety, and so 
you know, if, if he hadn't been thrown in the clinker for 40 years, it's possible that he would. <laughs> so I do think it, it's considered to some degree, but right. like it wasn't like, I mean, Randy Moss wasn't, Ray Lewis may have murdered somebody, and he's going to get in he's gonna first in. ballot, he's right? He's going to walk in as well. I mean, Randy Moss maybe yes. bumped into a traffic cop downtown Minneapolis one time right. and uh, and quit on, uh, quit on a couple teams with the Raiders, and I don't care. The numbers are there. The influential nature of his play is there. The personality is there. He should be a first ballot. Hall and with, with no character clause, I think you can look at, at certain guys like T.O. and you can debate that. But when you're talking about a, a probably pretty small group of players who, who changed the way that the game was played, those guys get in. And those guys should not have to wait. And this whole thing about the committee struggles with, well, receivers' uh, statistics have gone up because the rules were changed and should we That's put true. Carter in? That's fine. But... If you saw Moss play, if you saw him play his first few years here, and you didn't say that is an immediate Hall of Famer, you pretty much don't get right. it. Right, and to that point, I absolutely, I do think for quarterbacks and for wide receivers the last 20 years, the Peyton Manning era, so to speak, you do have to account for inflation of numbers. There's just more passes being thrown. There's more yardage, more touchdowns being thrown around. But if you're still at the top of that heap, you're in. Yeah, your numbers are inflated compared to what Fred Bolitnikoff's would have been in the seventies. Right, but you're still at the top of the heap. You're not, you know. So now, if you are, let me pull up a list here of uh, of wide receiver career. Let's go career wide receiving yards in the yep. NFL. Uh, like Larry Fitzgerald, Terrell Owens, who also should get in, mm-hmm. whether it's this year or next year. Mm-hmm. Randy Moss. Those are the number two, three, and four all time yardage guys. Behind Jerry Rice, who's number one by 7,000 yards. No one's yeah, going to catch him. Ridiculous. Did they take advantage of inflation? Yes. But they're at the top of the heap. If you go down further and you see, like, Anquan Bolden at 14, mm-hmm. just behind Chris Carter, mm-hmm. I would say, okay, Anquan Bolden, probably not a Hall of Famer, even though he's top 15 all-time in yardage, took advantage of inflation. So there's a line there. And Terrell Owens, Larry Fitzgerald eventually... And Randy Moss, Isaac Bruce is up. He's fifth on that list. Mm-hmm. Those guys all eventually should be Hall of Famers. Here's my here's my my case for, for Moss though, in particular. Moss was a guy who who came into the league um, when passing was certainly popular, and I I believe that the league watched his success and said, "We want more of that." And so so he, if you look at how he influenced this league, and if you look at his big games. And, and I believe that they morphed rules because of him, because he was such an exciting player to watch and dynamic. So he's got so many things going for him as far as uh, probably rule tweaks that were made, to, you know, to up, up that. So Moss changed the game enough that I think he should easily get in. Uh, so we will uh, dive more into Viking stuff here. In fact, later on, we can get let's get to this next. Uh, this season is. Definitely the most Super Bowl-ready uh, season for the Vikings since 2009, maybe even since 1998 or the 70s. How emotionally invested are you in these Vikings? We can put a poll up. I'd love to get the thoughts from people on Twitter, uh, listeners. If you want to call in, 651-646-8255. How all-in are you emotionally on this particular Vikings team or have past Vikings or other Minnesota sports teams <laughs> Maybe a cooled your buzz. The Vikings alone could have done it at some point. Right. So we can dive into that. 
Uh, there's a bunch of NFL coaching openings, and now there's a report that both Vikings coordinators are going to be interviewing with one specific team later on this week. Lou Nanny at the top of the hour, Jim Peterson on Wolves at 1130. Uh, this is the TCL broadcast studio at 1500 ESPN, where TCL is America's fastest-growing TV brand. There's a reason for that. TCL is among the short list of brands aligning itself with Hollywood to bring theater-style entertainment and experiences to your home. On top of that, TCL puts all of your entertainment favorites in one place, so no more external devices. The built-in Roku makes it so that you can access just on the next page, so to speak, from your cable menu or your satellite menu, 4,000-plus streaming channels, and 450,000-plus movies and TV show episodes. Uh, It's instant access to thousands and thousands of entertainment gateways, and you can find TCL TVs inside any local major retailer here in the Twin Cities or visit TCLUSA.com. Mackie and Judd live in the TCL broadcast studio. Mackie and Judd now continue. Put on your big boy pants and let's go. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. without even really being able to run as he shoots the moon to the fans here in Green Bay. That is a disgusting act by Randy Moss. And it's unfortunate that we had that on our air live. That is disgusting by Randy Moss. Why did he come out so hot with that? I have no idea. He didn't actually pull but his do you remember? football pants down. So, so the Vikings, that, that was in a wild card round game against the Packers uh, that year. So 2004, right? If you recall, Red McCombs went to Fox and said, we don't want Joe Buck to work our, our next playoff game. They did played they, Philadelphia the they next oblige? week. No, no, they said, bleep you, Red. But they actually, Red went to, <laughs> Red attempted to go to Fox and say, we do not want Joe Buck to, to work the next playoff game. Did, it did, became a big story did, that, that next week because people were so upset here at uh, Joe Buck. Did Moss get flagged for that? I don't think he no. did, no. Nope, he did not. So Joe Buck was just outraged. It was oh, yeah. it was t- uh, it was an overreaction. I still think he's a really good broadcaster, but people in Minnesota will never forgive him for that. He'll be doing games for another twenty five or thirty years until he's seventy or eighty years old, and fans here will never forgive him for for that moment. And he didn't get flagged. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's funny. You can uh, you can fake moon the crowd, but if you touch the goalpost yeah. on your way by, yeah. it's a fifteen yard penalty. Yeah, don't grab it. Uh, we need to come up with a poll here for the emotional investment. Of, of Vikings fans on this particular Vikings team. how I don't know how we should phrase the answers, but how emotionally invested are you is the question. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, I think you are the resident um, stoic here among the three of us for sure on this show when it comes to the Vikings. I think your emotional investment with the Wild, you try to couch it a little bit, but it's definitely... The strongest of any of your connections to probably any team hockey, in this yeah. town. That's probably true. Um, it feels like you covered so many Vikings teams as a beat writer that your fandom was sort of stripped away like yes. 15 years ago and, and stomped on. So now you times. just now you're very stoic when you talk about the Vikings. I'm somewhere in between, and that I definitely cried after the 1998 game. I was I was working somewhere else for the 2009 game and was booked to go to Miami for that Super Bowl or New Orleans, wherever it was. I so think you- it was New Orleans. And I was, so I was Miami. Okay, it was Miami. Yes, I was all in, ready to roll, and uh, and they and they ripped it away from you. And so I that hit me pretty hard too in two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like I'm at a proper arm's length for this team, but living and dying a little bit. But they haven't really given you any real drama yet this season. They've pretty much mowed through the entire season. And you haven't had that live-or-die game yet. So the first one's going to be in a week and a half when they play probably the Rams. Yeah. Um, here is, so, so here's where it's weird for me. Um, it's not my investment. It's my feeling about this team. This feels different. This feels different. Like, 98 was built on what? Offense. Just an offensive show, right? 2009 was built on Brett Favre, and your defensive line was good, but your secondary was suspect, I thought. And defensively, you weren't awful, but you certainly weren't great. There's so many things about this team, and that's why I keep joking around and going back to kicker, because that's the one thing that at times you go back to and think, well, this seems the same at times. But anyway... Offensively and defensively, what I think the temptation to invest in this team is, it feels different. Uh, it does. I mean, if it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like there are as many holes to poke in this team as the last two times you know a, a team was good enough to win the Super Bowl in this town. You even in '98, you didn't really think they were going to lose, but you knew that nah, this isn't exactly the you know this isn't exactly the purple people leaders defense. So if they for some reason, stop being able to throw the ball to Randy Moss or score touchdowns, they could have a problem. With this team, you think, you know what, even if they can't move the ball offensively, they're, they're still going to win like 10-9. to nine Or, yeah, or, right. or somehow they could score win. a defensive touchdown or something. 17-14. So how should like we phrase that. this poll? How emotionally invested are you in this Vikings team? We need, we need at least a couple answers here. Or maybe we make comparisons. Your emotional investment in the Vikings is the same as your job, your relationship slash marriage, things like that. I like it. Yeah. I mean, this could really tell a lot about people's People, yeah. relationships, too. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be hard to go there. It's going to be hard. I, I mean, I don't blame if pe- people are still like, well, they seem to be really good, and I really like this team, but I can't blame them. I mean, if you've been a Vikings fan for the last 20-plus years, you've gone through, I mean, the easiest Big game loss that you had was was forty one zip against the the Giants because at least then you just got your butt kicked right. Uh, let's see, that so, didn't hurt as much. Yeah, some people hurt. chiming in here on social media. Uh, Vikings, I'm confident, not overly excited. They have to win the Super Bowl for me to lose my bleep. Joe says. Uh, David says I'm one hundred percent in, just like I have been for as long as I can remember. I'm a huge fan. At thirteen and three or three and thirteen, go Vikings. Yep. See, that's where like that you, now you're just bringing it on yourself. If Christian Ponder's the quarterback and you're still all in invested, and uh, think they're going to beat the Packers on the road in the playoff game, then that's and that's that, on you. But that's not not the spirit of this question. The spirit of this question is: this team seems to be really, really good. Are you all in? Because because uh, if if you're just a fan, that's great. But I'm but I'm saying you have experiences. In huge games of having your heart literally ripped out and and clomped on, are you are you at the point now where you again are saying it's worth that? It's funny because there's just we lack reference points in this town. You know the Lynx have won the only championships since the Twins in 1991. Uh, but the last time I felt the, another way to phrase this question, and by the way, six five one six four six eight two five five eight seven seven six one five fifteen hundred. If you want to chime in here, the last time I felt. Close to 100% sure that a Minnesota sports team was either going to win a championship or had a really, really good shot to win a championship. Yep. Take a guess. When, like, I have a specific team in my mind. 
in the last 20 years. A team that you really care about, too. Um, that I was, I was like, close to 100% sure. Wolves? Mm-mm. Cassell, Garnett? No, because even that, like, the Lakers were still a, a dynasty. The 2006 Twins. Oh, oh, who got bounced quick, when right? When Francisco, but it, not in the playoffs. I was still pretty sure when they went to the playoffs, because you felt like, all right, yeah, Liriano's out, but Johan, this offense, Morno, how hot they got after, like, the middle of June. But especially in August, when they had the two best starting pitchers yeah. in the entire major leagues. Yep. And they had the gold glove center fielder and the batting champion, Joe Maurer, and the MVP, Justin Morneau. Uh-huh. And all the Michael Kadiah breakout season and Joe Nathan, second best closer in the game. And that's the last. So it's been over 10 years. I, even the 2009 Vikings, he thought going on the road, Drew Brees, Saints, that's a really tough game to win. Kind of a coin flip feeling to that game. Yep. Um, before and that, I think, before I, think that. I have to go back to like 1998 Vikings. The last time I felt almost 100% sure. A Minnesota sports team was going to win a championship. I don't have that exact same feeling right now. Yep. But I feel much better about this team than I have about any other Vikings team since 1998. Uh, Sam says, I have uh, tweets, I have full faith. And then he pauses. And then he says that they will break our hearts. See, I don't know. I This team is good enough defensively that, that the Keenum aspect does scare me. Because you're going to put him in a in, in in these enormous games and on a different stage, and uh, he could melt down. I get all that, but there is just something about this that feels different. And and in 2009 too, in being around that team so consistently with Childress, there was a little bit of disorganization around that team that that obviously uh, came to light in the Saints game. But there was some disorganization around that team, and there there was a stumble there late in the season, where you did where you did say to yourself, "I'm not so sure here." I would say uh, to your question, I would say the '98 Vikings is the last time that I had that I had full faith that in a in a short run playoff that this team was at least going to go through uh, to the championship game. This is far different than say Boston sports fans or like uh, Golden State Warriors fans right now, where every season. You watch with 100% certainty that your team is going to win a championship, and you're shocked and outraged when they don't. <laughs> yes, right. The, you know what? It's flipped around inside out. Watching the Vikings, you're you're a huge fan, and you've been a fan your whole life. But there's something very torturous mm-hmm. about watching them play playoff games. There just is six five one six four six eight two five five eight seven seven six one five fifteen hundred. Dan, you're on the show. What's going on? Oh, just uh, on my way to work, but just. Uh... I'm old enough to remember all the Vikings uh, losses in the Super Bowl and the Twins in 65, the World Series. And I remember when the Twins finally beat uh, the Cardinals in 87. It wasn't so much that the Twins won. It was that any Minnesota team won a championship. I think I remember that feeling more than anything else. So, anyway, that's my comment. I hope the Vikings can do it, but there's always this sense of waiting for a shoe to drop as much because it's a Minnesota team as anything. Thanks. Yeah, it's the Wiley Coyote factor. Yes. It really is. Yes. We are Wiley Coyote. And I would guess that that there were people after 98 and 2009 who vowed never to go there again. It did, It doesn't mean that they wouldn't watch the team play, and I don't think it means that they don't like the team, but there have to be some people after those two, just because they were so, so tough to take, where they said, I'm never going to invest like that again. Yeah. Isn't it weird? I mean... Really, being a sports fan, there's only two types of joy, two types of true end-of-the-season joy. 
unexpected success where you're fine with the outcome. Oh my God, didn't didn't see that Twins playoff run coming. If they get beat by the Yankees, it's kind of a buzzkill, but whatever. We just got six months of free entertainment that we didn't expect. Mm -hmm. And then there's a huge gap up to championship-level joy. Mm -hmm. Um, And we really don't get that ever here. So if it goes beyond unexpected success, is there a middle ground between that and championship joy that you can settle into as a fan? And that's the amazing paradox about being a sports fan. It's like turning on an oven or turning on a stovetop mm-hmm. and touching it a hundred times, knowing that ninety-nine times your hand's gonna get burned. But the one time that your hand doesn't get burned, it's bleeping awesome. Unless you're a Boston sports fan when the stove is never hot. You and, can just touch it every time and you're it, do you think with the the Vikings it's different though? Do you think in some ways because like now when when this year started, I said nine wins. But now this team looks so good and looks so good defensively. Like I baseball, if you pop up, that's okay. That's great. And if you have a football team that you expect to win, let's say five or six games and wins ten games, that's fun. But I think the Vikings, this team in particular, right now is at the stage where where they look so good that the expectation might have been like they might be okay to now. Oh no, they're really really good. Uh, beating up on bad opponents at the end of the year and the defense locking down the players that they should. So. Andy Dalton and Brett Hundley and Mitch Trubisky. It makes you feel more confident going into the playoffs. It might be a little bit of fool's gold. We can talk more about that when we come back here, too. Uh, how emotionally invested are you? 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie, Judd Zogad. What's wrong with it? I love the fact that people can't stand it. Yeah. A lot of people can't stand it. It's great. Mackie and Judd. If you'd voted for Donald Trump, you can't stand it. Yes. Right. Yes, you're convinced this is the worst thing ever to happen in sport. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd. Uh, We have a poll posted here on our Twitter account, twitter.com slash 1500ESPN. What does your emotional investment in this Vikings team compare closest to in your life? Dave just posted this. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, your family. Now, some of this might depend on how emotionally invested you are in your family. Absolutely, yes. That answer might vary from person to person. Mm-hmm. Your job, your next meal, your underwear. <laughs> now, depending on what kind of underwear you, you wear, might really maybe like you're your very emotionally invested. You yeah. really like the uh, banana hammock. It might be expensive. Very comfortable for you. Uh, I would say it's not my family. I've learned my lesson following the Vikings for three decades now. Um, job next meal for me, I, I would say it's, it, this is mostly just because I think the, the joy has been beaten out of me for so many years. I'm going to say my underwear. Oh, you're that far. Now? Oh, underwear. wow. Yeah. I, I went next meal. Okay. Oh, I could see. Next so you're meal. more emotionally invested than I, I could am. see next meal. Yeah. I'm telling you, I've got a fee. I've got this weird feeling. But over half of people are saying their family, that they're all in like they would be on their family. That's remarkable. <laughs> I that or they've had way too much family over the holidays. Right. Exactly. It's, <laughs> and it's just probably more along that path. Yeah. Avoid at all costs. <laughs> um, do you ever, do you ever wish Judd that you were more emotionally connected to sports teams? No, not at all. Uh, Cause I was as a kid. The two teams that I, I learned my lesson on were the 84 North Stars and the 84 Cubs. And I was so invested. When the 84 Cubs uh, took a 2 nothing lead in the best 3 of 5 uh, division series against the Padres, they t- they're up 2-zip. And it's like I'd watch that team on cable all summer. And they were going to go to the World Series. And it was going to be this great story. 
And then they went to San Diego and dropped three straight. And I believe that's the last time I cried. And I was 14. Like, like I was old to be crying about that. And then I remember when the 84 North Stars, uh, I think they played St. Louis in the second round. I think that team went on to play the Oilers in the conference finals, and they won their second round series. And I was going berserk. And I thought to myself, what the hell are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you this excited? Like, why are you so wrapped up in a team that you like, and that's fine, but you have no control whatsoever, and you're that wrapped up? Yeah, it, it didn't It didn't make common sense to me. Like, I, I love sports, and I love being around sports and going to sports still, but the investment that I had chosen to make, to me, I'm like, this lacks all common sense. It is kind of weird. If you take a step back and, and try and form some perspective around sports fandom and, uh, and really look at the things that you are sort of emotionally invested in like all the all the things on this poll for instance that you get more angry if your sports team loses a big game than if other important things happen in your life honest to god yeah. i've had close relatives die and i haven't cried at their funerals yeah but i cried after the 1998 nfc championship game like my grandma died when i was 15 or 16 years old and my nana cry. Yeah. And I loved her very much. Yep. And I remember sitting at the funeral looking around. So that was 2000, like 2000 or 2001, just right. a couple of years after the NFC Championship game. And I looked around and like everyone else was crying and I was sad, but I wasn't I wasn't like blubbering and bawling. I was, you know, I was sniffling. Right. Um and maybe that's more I don't know, maybe when you're 15, 16 you just you don't have <laughs> you just don't cry, but Two years earlier, I cried my eyes out after the Vikings lost to the Falcons. So I don't know if that says more about me or age you know what, or I think, sports fandom. I think that's the age, though, you know, 14, 15, 16, where, where you can go in either direction. And you can say to yourself, like, this lacks common sense. Like, I am, I am blubbering about a sports team that lost, and ultimately, yeah. who really cares? Or you can say, no, this is me. This is the, re- the rest of my life is this. Into my 30s, I'm going to be this invested. And that's why, with the Vikings, I do wonder if people started to drop off a bit, though. Because, like, 98 was heart-wrenching. But then you got to 2009, and they did the same thing. I mean, that that's why I can't blame Vikings fans for finally saying, I just can't do this. Like, I, I will follow the team, and if they go to the Super Bowl, it'll be fantastic, and it's going to be fun. But the investment that I made is just not feasible given the historic meltdowns that we've seen. Uh, Don, loyal listener Don, chimes in on Twitter here at Phil Mackey at 1500 ESPN. Judd, haven't been emotionally invested in Vikings since at least 1998. I watch and I hope that they win, Yep. but I handle the results. On the other hand, I'm invested in the Twins, even in a 103 loss season. Old guy, get off my lawn. (laughs) Uh, Robert says, if the Vikings win the divisional round, I will allow myself to become blindly emotionally invested again. Uh, Adam says 100% all in. <laughs> favorite season since 1998, but this feels better than that year. Uh, it, I mean, it's, I don't know if it feels better. It just it's a different way of winning football games. It's a more reliable. I'll, uh, this is what I'll, we keep saying. Does it feel different, better? I think if you're winning with defense, even though it's harder to put together multiple year strings of top defense because you're relying on 11 guys gelling together and coaches gelling Staying together. Healthy as well, yeah. Uh, sometimes your offense can just be predicated on having Tom Brady or sure. Aaron Rodgers. Sure. Um, so it, it's a more reliable way to win if you're constantly holding teams to 13 or 14 points offensively. 
So and that's why it feels better. If you're a fan of, of this team and you are, let's say, 32, you are that, that would be you, me, me and Dave, basically. You, yeah. you, you got, but but you guys have never. I don't think, I don't think you've ever seen a Vikings team built this way, right? Because you you didn't see certainly the great defenses of the 70s, and there were some around. And the defense, as, as Color and I discussed, got really good around 88. But once again, at that time, you're what four, four years old. I don't think you guys have ever seen a Vikings team really built like this. Uh, uh, no, we haven't. And to take that a step further, I would say that the 2013 Super Bowl should make you feel really good as a Vikings fan. The Seattle Seahawks, with kind of a limited offense, they did it. They had Marshawn Lynch, and it was second year Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. So Russell Wilson had not yet emerged into this MVP caliber player that he became two or three years later. It's kind of like when Ben Roethlisberger was. A rookie quarterback, they went 15-1, and one and they went to the Super Bowl in 2005. They won it. I think they won it in 2005 against the uh, Seahawks. They did. So limited offense, but punch you in the mouth. Best scoring defense, best yardage defense, ring a bell. And they run into the 55-touchdown pass Peyton Manning Denver Broncos offense. Mm-hmm. And it was hard to handicap that game because you didn't really know what to make of the Seahawks quite as much. You knew that they had a great defense, but you didn't really know what Russell Wilson was going to do. But you knew that Peyton Manning just put together the greatest quarterbacking season in NFL history, and that game wasn't close. The Seahawks absolutely destroyed the legendary 40-year-old Peyton Manning Broncos. We could see a matchup between a legendary Tom Brady quarterbacked Patriots team and a very similarly constructed defense in a month from now. Now, where Vikings fans, rightfully so, I I think would counter that and say, say they're concerned is this. Injuries, for instance, or Keenum melting down. No, well, Vikings There's fans always, are always going to have some right. reason to be nervous but I'm because saying, there is there is no you, other way to. But if you but if you can take this defense healthy into the playoffs and and keep it that way, you do have a product that that as a Viking fan, unless you're 50 plus, you've never seen before. Uh, Dylan says, "I'm all in, but still worried about the NFC Championship game." On Twitter, he says this, but no matter what, I'll still be crying once the season is over, no matter the ending. <laughs> <laughs> what what would happen um, if this team did win the whole thing? What would happen in this town? A lot of arrests and car fires. I hope we wouldn't burn cars. That's so cliche. Oh, I by think now. That it would be turning over cars is so cliche. There by would now. be riots. There would be riots. I do think. Okay, we rioted after the Gopher hockey team yeah, won I a know. championship. And that was just a bunch of idiots. <laughs> Come on, that was a bunch of morons and dinky. Okay, town. but that's it's going to be those same morons <laughs> and also like fifty-year-old well, okay. adults okay. who are drunk. Don't forget, we did it more than once too. Yes, we did it multiple times. That was you guys, times. I bet. I think we also riot going no, out and turning over cars. That was before. It was town. before I arrived. Dave might have been out there as a freshman. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> light it up, baby. Uh, well, I think we also ride after losing to Union, right? Weren't students climbing oh, yeah. telephone poles what? in Dinkytown after losing to Union? Yeah, like win or four lose, years ago? you ride in Dinkytown. Yeah. So put it that way: if we're riding after Gopher hockey okay. losses in the Frozen Four, we're for sure riding if the Vikings beat the Patriots. I'll rephrase in the Super Bowl. What would what would the most the real ardent Viking fans who, who have seen who have seen so many heartbreaking moments do? Not just the well, you're guys trying, who like, would, what do you what answer are you looking for? You're lumping, come out. You're lumping like a million people into I don't, I, one behavior? My, po- my point is this. I don't think there's any team in this town, including the Twins, that can win a title that, that would come close to resembling the reaction of Vikings fans here. Because they've seen so much. The team is so important. I mean, the Twins, I think the Twins are liked and the Wolves, wild, that's fine. But the Vikings are so loved here. 
that I would be very curious for the long time, the, the Viking fan who went through 98 and 2009, the relief of finally doing this. A lot of tears. Yeah, see, that's what... A lot fewer people at work on Monday morning. I think it'd be so cool to see. I really do. Uh, I also, there's... I want to run this by you when we come back here. I I almost think as fortunate as the Vikings are, especially when you look around their division right now, the stability they have, they're a little unlucky in some ways as well. Mackie and Judd, we're going to get to Lou Nanny at the top of the hour. Jim Peterson on Timberwolves at 1130. Mike Golick Jr. will join the show later. Mackie and Judd are back. It can actually be a little exciting. On 1500 ESPN. 1500 ESPN. Visit St. Paul. The city of St. Paul and Wells Fargo invite you to experience Wells Fargo Winter Skate, a free outdoor, artificially chilled ice skating rink in downtown St. Paul at Rice Park. It's open seven days a week in the heart of the city. Winter Skate creates a fun winter experience for visitors of all ages. More details can be found at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Thank you, Dave Harrigan. Lou and Annie will join the show here for his weekly appearance a day early in about 15 minutes or so. Jim Peterson from the uh, Fox Sports North Timberwolves broadcast, 1130. Mike Golick Jr. around 1215. So Mike Zimmer is going to be 62 years old this offseason. Is it fair to say I, I think he's one of the best coaches in the NFL? I think there's Bill Belichick, and then I think there's a second-tier that I don't know how many coaches are in that second tier, like a handful. And Mike Zimmer's in that handful bunch of that second tier. If you can, if you have an elevator pitch, two sentences where mm-hmm. you can tell people exactly what you're great at, I think you belong in that second tier or maybe in that top tier at some point if Belichick retires. Mm-hmm. And Mike Zimmer's elevator pitch is really easy. It's I coach the I coach defense better than any coach in the NFL. And the numbers back it up. Going back to Cincinnati, defensive coordinator. They had top 10 yardage and points defenses in seven of the last nine years, including his time with the Vikings. And you almost have to throw out the first year with the Vikings, in which they were top half of the league, but not top 10, Mm -hmm. taking over the worst defense in the NFL. So he's consistently ranked in the top five or top 10 yardage and points, once in a while popping up to top three this year, number one in both categories. But he's not young. He's 62 years old this offseason. You almost got a little unlucky in that you didn't find Mike Zimmer when he was 49 or 50 years old. Like, the Patriots found Bill Belichick. And I get it. Mike Zimmer hasn't won a playoff game yet. So I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Make him prove it in the playoffs first. Win a couple games. Win a Super Bowl. Yep. Before you can really be put in that big-time top category. But Bill Belichick was 48 years old when he was hired by the New England Patriots. Uh, Sean McVay is 31 years old, hired hired now by the Los Angeles Rams. Hired at 30. So if this is indeed what we think it is, which is next to Bud Grant, the best coach of, you know, this is the best coach of my generation uh, for Vikings football. Yep. And instead of it being maybe a 10 or 15 year thing, he's had health issues. You know, maybe he coaches into his 70s, but I do think he could coach the Vikings as long as he wants to coach the Vikings based on what we've seen so far. And it's kind of unfortunate that he's already like, getting into his mid-60s starting this offseason. I think the difference, too, though, is, is this. In this sport, particularly, it is year by year. Like, you don't know what's going to go wrong next year. I mean, in 2016, you started 5-0. and, and zero. Things looked fantastic, and guys got hurt, and things came undone. So I see your point, but the thing about this is, and this is the most important thing if you're a Vikings fan to keep in mind, Enjoy this ride. Don't assume success from it. 
Don't just assume that, well, now you're going to be good for five, five years. Zimmer's way of coaching defense is very effective. But in no sport, in my opinion, can as many things go wrong as football. All it takes is two guys get hurt next year. I mean, Keenum popped up from nowhere. So I think the most important thing is, is as the playoffs start, enjoy the now because assuming success in, into the future is a very dangerous proposition well, with a football team. It depends on what you mean by assuming success. Assuming championship caliber success, I agree with you. This is championship caliber success. Now, they might blow it and they might lose to the Rams or something in a, in 10 days from now. Uh, but I think we can pretty safely assume a general level of success when their worst season under Mike Zimmer was 7-9. and nine And they've been good, With yeah. no quarterback. Yeah. Matt Castle started the year as quarterback, right, in 2014? Yep. Um, and, and he took over a, a three-win dumpster fire from Leslie Frazier in the worst defense in the league. And he's done a very good job. So his, yes. like, his worst seasons are 500 but the Patriots train wreck all around him. The Patriots are so far off the charts when it comes to the norm, and, and they're good year after year, and they get off to bad starts, and they always come back. The Patriots lead us down a very interesting path because I think people then say, well, my team can be the Patriots. Well, the Patriots are a one-one type deal. Yeah, I don't think I'm anyone not, can even compare. Like, that's a that's the greatest yes, dynasty in the great history franchise. of pro football. And and I'm not saying that that this, this franchise has not found a coach who works. What I am saying is that this season, when you look at the things that have not gone, gone wrong, and you look at the fact that so many things have gone right— it's very it's it's very tempting I think now to say well this is just going to continue it might not continue in this way this is how you go from from what transpired in 2016 to now well if they if they were able to find it helps when you have the quarterback you know the Patriots are this amazing it's this amazing uh, convergence of talent and preparation and also some luck and that Tom Brady fell to them in the sixth round. It wasn't like they identified Tom Brady early. Mm-hmm. He fell to them, and he had a huge chip on his shoulder. And Bledsoe got hurt. Sure. Like, there's there's things that happen early. I mean, the, the tuck rule game, for instance, in 2001. John Gruden's last—was that John Gruden's last game with the Raiders, I believe? And then he went to the Buccaneers in 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it the Patriots have been able to—if if they had Matt Castles or patchwork quarterbacks all the way through— Bill Belichick is a great enough coach to where they'd still be above 500 on a regular basis, and he's a great defensive coach. They rarely have anything outside of a top 10 defense. Um, So I think, is it likely that Mike Zimmer is always going to be coaching the best defense in the NFL? No, I don't think. I I think that's really hard to maintain year in and year out. If Harrison Smith goes down, you go from number one to number seven, let's Mm -hmm. say. But am I pretty confident Mike Zimmer can take almost any collection as long as he's coaching the Vikings and make them a top 10 defense? Yes. And if you have a top 10 defense on a regular basis and anything offensively, you're going to win 10 or 11 games. And that's where I think this team is headed the next several years. Now, this might be their best chance to win a Super Bowl, but I don't think they're in danger of going like 6 and, and I'm 10 not at any that. point. I'm, I'm just saying that the success of, of this year should be enjoyed because this is a league where things change really quickly. And and as Collar uh, said a couple days ago, when you have a defense where essentially nobody missed games, Sunday Hill missed what three games and was suspended for one. Griffin missed uh, the game in Washington, and I think that's it. When you go through a season where you have this many defensive stars and every one of them plays in almost every game, that is that is is something to appreciate. 
because the odds of that happening again in 2018 are probably long. Now, now where I give where Zimmer gets credit for me is this, and, and this and this is where football should go, and this is where the good coaches do go, uh, but there's still far too many who don't. If I were to summarize Zimmer in one sentence, I would say it's this. I use my personnel to the best of their abilities. Mike Zimmer doesn't look at his personnel and say, I've got a system, and damn it, they're going to fit that system, and if they don't, they're gone. Mike Zimmer says, what do I have to cook with? And then he starts from there. Uh, the, the, the strip had a story. Sto- I mean, Bill Belichick is the greatest is of the all greatest. time at that. Yeah. The, stri- the strip had a story on Shermer on Sunday about that, and Shermer went into detail about how he was basically told Figure out what these guys can do. So don't have a system. Don't just say, I'm, I'm a West Coast guy, and I'm going to run this offense, and that's it. Figure out how you can best utilize the personnel that you, you have, which which makes common sense, but there's still a lot of coaches that say, no, my system works, and I'm going to fit guys into my system as opposed to my system is going to revolve around what these guys do. Uh, by the way, add the Giants to the list of teams interested in uh, Pat Shermer. So now four of the six teams with job openings, if you count the Raiders, who are about to hire John Gruden, have reached out to interview Pat Shermer sometime later on this week. Uh, someone chimes in here, Troy, on Twitter. Why is nobody discussing offering Pat Shermer a co-head coach title like Norv, like, uh, Norv Turner had? And try to pay the man to keep him, especially with Zimmer at age 62. Um, but you're never going – Mike Zimmer's the head coach. Yeah. So if the argument is, hey, you can maybe elevate him to, like, associate head coach. It's not the same. And uh, pay him a bunch of money. Not the same. If you're Pat Shermer and you want to run your own program and you want to win championships that belong to your resume, yes. you're going to want to take over a team. And don't – If he aspires to do that, then you're not going to be able to keep him, even if the money is good. If you pay him, like, $5 million – Don't forget, too – Pat had one chance with the Browns, and it was a dumpster fire. And there is no competitive person on the face of the earth that wouldn't want to say, give me a second chance. That Cleveland job is a debacle. It is a debacle. And judging anyone off that job is is a is dumb. And so if you're Shermer, you are going to want to turn around and say, I want a second chance. I don't blame him one bit. And he deserves it. He has done a fantastic job. This is one of the this is one of the best offensive coordinator jobs I have seen with this team ever. Uh, Gabby is playing psychologist here on Twitter. Death of a grandparent, if due to illness or old age, is gradual and expected. Sports <laughs> losses are sudden and crush your expectations. I think that's why you cried at one and not the other. Ah, so the Vikings dropped. So dead. I knew that my my grandma was going to pass away at some point. But the Vikings so I dropped cry. dead. But the Vikings, the '98 Vikings, yeah, you you didn't think good. until the last five minutes of the game that they were gonna blow it. All right, that's pretty good. I like that one. I'll take that. Uh, At says on Twitter, my husband has been on a had been on a respirator all weekend in 1998 and heavily sedated on that Sunday. They win this year. He will cry like a baby, a six foot six baby. See, there you go. There will be a lot of grown men absolutely crying. Yes. Um, let's get to, is Lou Nanny a Vikings fan? Do I'm we know? sure he, yeah, I'm sure he is. We can ask him about this. Yes. Emotional attachment. Now we know that as far as hockey teams, yep. nobody was as emotionally attached as him. He wouldn't, he couldn't watch the game sometimes when he was GM. Mm-hmm. So Lou Nanny joins us next. Jim Peterson to talk Wolves in about an hour and a half from now. Plus we'll get to our Vikings prop bets around 11 o'clock. It's Mackie and Judd.